Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today is the final in our highlight series we've been doing here at the Fully Restored Podcast on our past shows. This topic is a very important one for us to cover because of how many women who are in abusive relationships right now. For this show, we're going to highlight two previous guests here at the Fully Restored Podcast, Kelly Stigliano and Karen DeArmond Gardner. Now, these two women bravely share their own stories of past relationships, how they broke free from them, and of how their lives have been fully restored through Jesus. They also give us some extremely valuable tips on how to step out, break out of one of those relationships. Now, our next series that we're going to be doing over this summer is a devotional series called Draw Near to God. Summertime is busy for us all. Parties, trips, outside activities, camping, and so much more. Not forgetting that all those kiddos are home for the summer, right? So with our busy schedules, I wanted to share a short weekly devotion that will encourage us all to focus on our relationship with God in the middle of our busyness. If you've been listening to my show over the past year, one thing you will find is that a vital part to our fully restored stories from all the guests who have been sharing is their relationship with God. Now, at the end of the summer, we're going to be starting season two here at the Fully Restored Podcast with more guest interviews which I am so excited about. Now, one more thought before we jump into today's show. I encourage you to share this episode with your friends and family as this show may be what makes the difference in their lives. For the month of May, I am doing a highlight shows and I have a contest going on. I love contests and I love giving away stuff. So for every episode you share on social media and tag me, you're going to be entered into a drawing for a $25 gift card and some $5 Starbucks gift cards. On both Instagram and Facebook, I can be found at author Kristen Klaus. Now, On to our show. As I mentioned, my guests are Kelly Stigliana, who we're going to hear from first, and then we're going to go right into our highlights from our guest, Karen DeArmond Gardner. Both of these women share some valuable tools, resources, and wisdom on breaking free from abusive relationships. Now, here are the interview highlights. So how can we tell if it's happening to someone we know? That's kind of tricky because your friend or family member may not tell you she's in trouble. I didn't tell anybody. I mean, it's embarrassing, you know, and, but she may even deny abuse if you directly ask her. But in my opinion, brainwashing goes hand in hand with domestic abuse. It's now called intimate terrorism. And and the psychology dictionary defines brainwashing as that which manipulates and modifies a person's emotions attitudes and beliefs. You remember that old movie called Gaslight? 
the psychological thriller, right? Well, just, just a real quick recap. It's about a woman whose husband slowly manipulates her into believing that she's going insane. He isolates her from the outside world, implying that he's doing so for her own good. And he's also jealous and accusatory whenever others express an interest in her. So because of the movie, the psychological term gaslighting is used to describe the form of psychological abuse where the victim is gradually manipulated into doubting his or her own sanity. So how can you tell? You can't always tell. I think we need to ask God for discernment keep our eyes open for subtle signs and listen between the lines during conversation. You bring up a good point that because as a counselor, the clients that I have seen that have been in abusive relationships, one of the most common things that I see is they doubt their judgment. They doubt their ability to make a decision and they always defer to somebody else because of the, as you put, the intimate terrorism. Um, because of that brainwashing, that they doubt themselves, their decisions, and because of how they're belittled and what is spoken to them. So that's a sign right there. That's not the only sign, but that is a sign. And that's something that I work with individuals on is being able to trust their own decisions because they don't trust themselves based on what's happened to them. Right. I bet you do see that in, in probably all of them. Yeah. So why do women stay with their abusers? Well, I think we've all heard or known someone, heard about or known someone who wouldn't leave her abuser. And you may wonder why she stays. You may think she's stupid or lazy, but please hear me. It's not as easy to leave as you might think. That's right. So I wrote a book, a memoir, and since it has been published, I've heard from people literally across the globe, women share their horror stories of past and present traumas, and it's heartbreaking. But I've also had a couple women say to me, well, that would never happen to me. I am way too strong for that. I would never put up with that nonsense. But again, please hear me on this. You can be hit in the head and belittled for only so long before you believe the lies. Yeah. You believe yeah. you have no worth and you can do nothing by yourself. And if you even try, you or your family will die. That's the success of brainwashing. It gives the brainwasher control over his victim. So what should someone in an at-risk relationship do? Well, if someone you know is dating someone unpredictable and explosive, it's never too late to leave. If she needs help to break the relationship off, she should secure that first. She should bring a respected authority figure to accompany her while she officially breaks up with her partner. But if she's married, she should seek help. She should call someone, make a plan, have a trusted lady friend ready to accept her and her children at a moment's notice. Maybe she could keep pajamas and toothbrushes at her house. And your listeners might think, well, could I be that safe place for her? There is much to consider, but you don't have to kill your abuser to be free. The way you retaliate is to leave. And there is help available. The National Domestic Violence Hotline website is thehotline.org. That's easy to remember, thehotline.org. But if you're at a computer that is also used by your abuser, then you should call their phone number. And it's 1-800-799-SAFE. 799 safe. I am writing those down right now. 1-800-799-SAFE. That statement you just said is so powerful. The way you retaliate is to leave. 
So you did mention for some women, you know, if you have a lady friend or somebody that you know that you can go and stay with, but for those that don't, because part of that abusive relationship is isolation from friends and support and family members. So if you feel like you don't have anyone to turn to, then what is your recommendation? Well, I think if you can get to a phone, you need to call someone. You can call your pastor's wife or the Salvation Army or your local women's shelter and someone will help you. That's what they're there for. Okay. And a lot of communities now have, I'm just thinking in Washington State, where I used to live, I'm new to Kentucky, every county had these nonprofit groups that were specifically to help individuals get out of abusive relationships. You know, Human Response Network was one of them. They just recently changed their name and it was funded by the state and the federal government to help women and men get out of violent relationships. So I would encourage you make those phone calls, like Kelly just said, to Salvation Army, the women's shelter, and they are going to know, hey, there's this group here or, you know, here, come to us. Because there are shelters for women that are not made public, right? Where those locations are. They're just for the women that are getting out of domestic violence relationships. So with your life experience and where God has brought you today, what are two or three things that you can briefly share with our listeners as they begin their journey of healing? Oh, I think most importantly, that no one is out of God's reach. He can hear and see people that we cannot. And that's what can bring us peace because nothing happens without his knowledge. I used to say, I like to say, he saved me from many things and stayed with me through everything. Oh, yes, that is good. He did. He's so wonderful. And also, secondly, is we are called to pray for those in messy dangerous places because we are indeed our sister's keepers. And you know, it's a privilege to come to God on someone's behalf. Bringing someone to him in prayer is a great act of love. It's the very most and the very least we can do. Third, no matter where you are, God is there with you. He can give you strength to get you to safety. Again, he may not save you from everything, but he is there with you through everything and can bring you safe. Just draw closer to him and touch the hem of his garment because that's where you find strength. And really, as we are touching that hem of the garment of Jesus and reaching out to him, I really believe that he's going to give us wisdom on contact this person, call this person and help us deal with the shame and the things that are inside of us that stop us from asking for help and heal our, our mind and our thought process that tells us that we're to blame for what happened to us. Because I really believe that many individuals struggle with that and believe that it's their fault. They shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have done that because they're being continually told, if you didn't do this, I wouldn't be angry. It's your fault. And the truth is, it is not your fault that somebody else is angry, did whatever that you did, but they have a decision to make whether they have control over their emotions, not you. We can't control other people's emotions. We can control ours and how we react and respond. I'm very appreciative of these three things that you have said here and talking about, again, the way you retaliate is to leave and reaching out and pressing into God and finding, you know, if you can go to a church, if you're not allowed to go to a church right now, some churches are doing online services, but you can contact. We have so many ways to contact people. 
now that we didn't have before. But most importantly, if you don't have somebody, Phil, that you can reach out to, then call. It was 1-800-799-SAFE. Yes. Okay. 800-799-SAFE, or it's called thehotline.org. If you're using a computer that your abuser is not using, then you can do thehotline.org. That's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. If your computer is also used by your abuser, that's sort of an unsafe thing to do. So yes, 1-800-799-SAFE. Okay. Thank you for those resources because those two resources, it doesn't matter what state you live in, right? Those are national lines for them to reach out to. Which leads us to the next question. What Mm -hmm. is domestic violence abuse? See, There's actually two types of domestic violence. There's what they call the situational couples abuse. It's also referred to as a battered woman syndrome. It's what you hear about. She has visible bruises. There's loud spies. She may need to go to the hospital. You hear the fights, you know, they're yelling and screaming and everybody knows that there's something going on in the family. They also, the abusers do also use control and manipulation. But the second type of abuse is what is called coercive control violence. It's also referred to as intimate terrorism, which is the systematic use of control and coercion to instill fear and compliance using mostly nonviolent tactics to instill fear. They will use violence, though they would never hurt you where bruises could be seen, or they use a threat of violence to create the atmosphere of fear. And it really is a pattern of oppression that systematically destroys your identity. And this is beyond just a controlling boyfriend or a spouse. It is so much deeper. They look for targets. And so they will target you, woo you, pull you in. And once they have you, which is usually after you say, I do, then they reveal the man behind the mask. Out of reported cases of domestic violence, 14% of those reported are the situational couples abuse. The other 86% is coercive control. And in England, it is actually, or the uh, Great Britain, it is actually a crime. And in the United States, it's not. The only way it's a crime in the United States is if he commits an act of violence that's actually illegal. Wow. I really appreciate that you defined the two types of abuse of domestic violence, because I don't think everyday person knows about the two types and what a difference, you know, 14% of situational, which is often what individuals think about as domestic Mm -hmm. violence versus the 86% For the Mm -hmm. cohesive control violence, wow, that is a huge difference in what that is. And that speaks of how many individuals, because it's not just women, it's, you know, men as well. How many individuals are caught in that 86% where others don't see the bruises, but those people doubt themselves they struggle with their own judgment and decisions that they make. And really they defer to their abuser to make all decisions, right? Well, it's not so much as they defer. It's that he creates a place where you have no choice. They can literally control you with a look. And I've, since I've been out of abuse, which is 15 plus years, I've read everything. And honestly, I just learned about this coercive control like last month. In all the research, I had never seen it. But when I found it 
and I didn't have a name for it until like 2005. It comes from a Dr. Evan Stark, who's a PhD, and then Dr. Deborah Wingfield also has written on it. And a lot of the information that I found, because I'm like, okay, I heard this here, I need to research this, but I found it on WebMD, which is a well-known site for, and it's in all the psychology today. And it's so much better explained because most of the cases, women do not even know that they're being abused because they have no words to describe what's happening to them because it happens so slowly. It doesn't just happen like there, there are cycles, but they're not really cycles because it's always there. Mm-hmm. And most people don't see it because he looks cool, calm and collected while yeah. she looks unbalanced and unstable. And so they think that there's something wrong with her, which reinforces his narrative that she's the problem. Yeah. And I, those are the women that I see come into my office mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. counselor are the women that they're the problem. They need to get fixed. They doubt themselves. What I notice usually is that they doubt their judgment, their ability to make decisions, and they're just, their life is a wreck. For a lot of Christian women, we stay in marriages because we feel that God expects us to stay in that abusive marriage. Could you talk to us about that? Yeah, he does not. If you think about think about the body of Christ, we are the body of Christ, and he loves us so much that he died for us. He sacrificed himself for the body. He likens in Ephesians 5, he compares marriage to his love for the body of Christ. So it doesn't make sense that he wants us to stay in a violent marriage. Because the New Testament is full of warnings to watch out for the wolves, watch out for the Antichrist, watch for out for anyone who would come into the church and cause a problem. So why would it be okay for someone to stay in an abusive marriage? It's not. But we're told, oh, you can't break the covenant. Well, guess what? What if there was never covenant in the first place? Because when he married you, he didn't go in with covenant. He went in with a lie. And quite frankly, he broke the covenant when he abused. And so we just are doing the paperwork. And so God is never, that is not where his heart is. If we even look at the lengths that he went to to rescue Israel out of abuse, he went to such great lengths. Why would he not do that for us? I love how you compared that to the lengths that he went to set the captives of Israel free. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about when they were in captivity to Egypt or when they were captivity to Babylon, Mm -hmm. the lengths that God went to, to rescue them and to heal them. And this is words that are life to individuals like, you know, Mm -hmm. who are in abusive marriages who are in abusive relationships that feel like there's no hope that they can't get away, that they're stuck. We have Mm -hmm. kids or I'm just stuck in this marriage. This is my lot. I just have to deal with it. But the truth is that there is hope and that you can get out of that relationship. So I want to know, how does someone recognize a predator and how can we help someone who is in or has left an abusive relationship? Before I get to that, I I do want to make one point. One question that I get from women that it didn't occur to me earlier is if he doesn't hit me, is it abusive? And and the answer is absolutely yes, because a lot of incoercive abuse, they don't always hit. 
they may rarely hit. And usually when they cause physical pain, it's things like pinching or biting, or they grab your arm that there's, there's never any, there's rarely bruises. And so they don't have to hit you for it to be abused. Cause quite frankly, the onslaught of verbal and emotional and psychological abuse is like you're getting battered with this only it's through words and emotions just to clarify that. So just cause he, he's not hitting you doesn't mean it's not abuse. Yeah. Um, how to recognize a predator. Okay. Well, quite frankly, they're hard to spot. They're charming, funny, likable, and they're very attentive. They don't look like a monster. However, their good news is we have Proverbs chapter two that gives us guidelines how to identify evil. And people might say, oh, we shouldn't use that word because evil, but it is evil. But Proverbs 2 tells us how to pursue wisdom. And in pursuing that wisdom, then it says, as we pursue it, like it's a treasure, that we're on a treasure hunt. And then it says, wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. These men turn from the right way to walk down dark paths. They take pleasure in doing wrong. They enjoy the twisted ways of evil. Their actions are crooked and their ways are wrong. Wisdom will help us to see what's underneath what they're saying. How do you feel when you're with him? And then how do you feel when you're not with him? If you've ever had a conversation with somebody who was using a really nice tone, and then later that night you were rethinking the conversation and you thought, oh my goodness they just slammed me and I didn't even notice it because it was said so sweetly, but they were really mean what they said, whether it was a man or a woman. And I have a friend like that. I I didn't even realize that when she would talk to me, she would say something really nice. And then she would say like a put down and then say something nice again. And I never realized that she was being really mean. And that's what they do. They sandwich it. An example is they will push your boundaries. Tom and I were dating because we were both older. We were very careful in our purity. And he told me, you make the boundaries and I'll keep them. And with someone who's a predator, you may say, you know, I really don't want to kiss right away. And they'll say, oh, okay, absolutely. But then he'll systematically start pushing that boundary of, I want to kiss you. And you're so irresistible. I just can't help myself. I want to kiss you, you know, and you'll finally give in and you'll believe it was your idea to give in. So if it's when you set and establish a boundary, that's what they go after. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. They will learn your secrets. Okay. They, they will learn all your secrets. And then once they have you, they'll start using those very secrets. Again. And, you, and you bring up a really good point about when you talked about a friend, because these unhealthy relationships can be also with friends. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. if you are caught in that cycle of domestic violence, you can attract unhealthy friendships as well. If you have any friends um, during that as well. So with your life experience and where God has brought you today, what are two or three things that you can share with our listeners as they begin their own journey of healing? Number one, it's not your fault. You didn't cause him to abuse you. There's nothing you could have done differently to change him or change the outcome. Being a better wife won't make him a better man. And that's just not your responsibility, even though you may hear that. 
from if you ever go to your church for help with pastors or church leaders, they may tell you that you're responsible for his behavior through their actions. Well, just be a better wife, love him more, forgive him, you know, have more sex, uh, maybe lose 15 pounds. None of that is going to change him. He didn't just have a bad childhood. He purposely chooses to cause harm and it actually gives him pleasure. It's probably the only way he feels in his controlling and abuse of you that actually gives him joy. And that sounds like insanity, but it it is. I just want to pause for a moment because I feel that little section right there that you just said is so important for us to grasp. It's not that you didn't pray enough. It's not that you weren't a better wife, that you need to have more sex or you need to lose weight or you need to change how you respond to him, which we do need to change how we respond, but it's not your fault of how he's acting, which goes back to that thought. Well, I wouldn't have done this if you didn't make me mad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the church, we need to recognize, and I'm coming as a counselor, but I'm also coming as a pastor. I want to see health in the church. I'm not attacking the church. We are not attacking the church. We want the church, which is us, the body of Christ. We want us to be healthy and we need to recognize that there's some unhealthy thinking, systematic thinking that leads women to stay in violent relationships longer than they should because they're fearful that God's going to be unhappy with them. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Number two, you can find a safe person to talk to and just know that not everybody can handle your pain yes. and you may lose friends. They, it may trigger them and they may flee from you so fast that you felt like you just got pushed off a cliff. You will also struggle putting words to what was done to you. And it's all, part of it is the deception that you've been under because he wove just a covering of deception around you. And when it hits you, when, when you realize everything that he did, the pain will be so intense and excruciating and it will roll over you in waves. And I know it is absolutely not the least bit fair that we have to bear the pain of what they did to us while he gets to go on his merry way as if nothing happened. And that's the reality of it, like it or not. It's terrible, but it is a reality. And number three, healing is going to take time. And I'm telling you, it is hard. Life suddenly won't be easier because facing that pain is hard. And if you don't face the pain, it really comes down to you can't heal what you don't acknowledge. So if you do what I did and you stuff it down, it's not like it will go away. It comes out. But God promises to heal us. He promises to be with us in the pain. When we have no words for the agony that we're in, the Holy Spirit will translate your groans of pain into words as Jesus steps into your pain and it intercedes for you before the father. And so the Trinity actually works in tandem for your healing and just know God is so kind and so gracious. He will only take you as far as you want to go in your healing. If you can't feel like you can't do anymore, he'll stop and he'll give you a season of rest until you get stronger and can come back to it. I love all of those words of wisdom that you have and I'm so appreciative. And I'm just thinking as you were talking about the scriptures, the word restore, you know, 
here I am Mm -hmm. fully restored podcast Mm -hmm. and I'm all things restoration. And when you do a study about the word restore, there's always a minimum of a double portion that comes back in your restoration. He'll give you a twofold. He'll give you a tenfold. There's even a hundredfold of restoration that God gives that he speaks of in his word in the Bible. That is something that we can hold on to that as we're doing that work and pressing through and and doing the work of healing, God's going to restore us, but he's not just going to barely restore us. He's going to fully restore us and then pour out blessings upon us in that process. Thank you, Kelly Stigliano and Karen DeArmond Gardner for joining us today. Our show notes and all the links shared with us today can be found at my website, fullyrestored.love. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fully Restored Podcast and that you're walking away with some insight, some tools and wisdom for yourself or your loved ones who are trapped in abusive relationships. If you or a loved one is needing help in getting out of abusive relationships, you can call 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. Or you can go to the website, thehotline.org. Thehotline.org. These are two valuable resources in helping individuals find freedom and getting out of abusive relationships. And remember, friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.